Welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio, the podcast where marketing leaders inside and outside the sciences share their creative ideas and practical approaches to increasing your marketing ROI. Here's your host, Chris Connor. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. In case you haven't noticed, February, just about over. We are so far into this year. I'm kind of stunned, honestly. Uh, your campaigns are up and running, and that's what we're going to talk about today. How to get the most out of your campaigns. I'm talking to two people who see a lot of them and have access to a large audience of scientists across the spectrum. Before we start, most of you are in marketing, some of you are in sales, and some may even overlap into corporate communications. But you are all podcast listeners. You understand and appreciate the experience of pushing play on your smartphone and staying up to date. What if you could do the same thing within your company to keep all the employees and your sales team up to date on company news, new product releases, best practices? It's now possible to deliver a secure internal podcast with the exact same experience as every other podcast you listen to, but with user access control and even better metrics than I can get from my own podcast. If that sounds useful, send me an email, chris at lifesciencemarketingradio.com. All right, let's jump into it. I'm going to call this a very special episode today. We've got two guests here. Jim Bro is the U.S. Sales Director at Springer Nature. Jim, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Chris. Thanks for having me. And Alan Avery is the Senior Marketing Manager for Partnerships at Springer Nature. Alan, welcome. Thank you very much. It's nice to be here. So we were all at the ACPLS meeting in San Francisco in October, and the idea came together something like this. I can't guarantee you this is entirely accurate, but we were talking about a podcast topic. And that same day, I got an email from, a, I think, a new listener who was asking about benchmarks for campaigns. And while that isn't exactly what we're covering today, these gentlemen see a lot of campaigns, and they're going to share what they know about setting expectations for campaigns and what works and what doesn't. So let's kick this off. Jim, let's talk about those expectations for marketing activities and how vendors or whoever can ensure the best results for any activity. Yeah. You know, I think when we start taking a look at how we want to take a look at what we want to get out of these campaigns, I think it really requires that we have, you know, a good understanding of what we want to get out at the end of the campaign. Um, you know, in, in years past, there's been a lot of focus just put on, tactical deployments in terms of where we want to go, but we really haven't put any thought into what the next step is going to be. And when we start taking a look at that, you know, a, a more comprehensive look at what we want to get out of the campaign is going to kind of give us the roadmap in terms of what we want to do. Um, the marketing landscape has changed dramatically over the last few years. And when we start taking a look at what it is that we want to do, and how we want to go there, it really starts with the pre-planning process. And in that pre-planning process, and you're talking about outcomes, I'm assuming you're talking about things like 
maybe more specific than this, but brand awareness, lead generation, sort of at that level. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, any of the objectives um, that the, that the marketer would have in, in its uh, um, uh, goals, you know, so it could be that, you know, brand awareness, product awareness, it could be that we want to have some sort of lead generation. You know, we have to be, you know, honest and realistic with ourselves when we start taking a look at these plans, that not every plan is going to deliver the same outcome. And if they're not going to deliver the same outcome, it's okay because there, there's different tactics that are going to get us to, to certain parts in, in the, uh, the marketing uh, um, process. And when we go through that process, it's you know important that we understand that there's going to be certain aspects that are going to complement and build towards more success in some of those other tactics. Got it. So, Alan, you see a lot of campaigns. And you can probably tell us what works and what doesn't. What have you seen? And is there anything new that people haven't even thought of yet? I think, you know, we, we talk about this a lot and, and Jim's probably going to mention it and it's going to be running theme through everything we talk about today. And I think first and foremost, the, the customer needs to be at the center of any marketing campaign and any marketing strategy. Uh we come across a lot of campaigns. The campaigns we see that are most successful are the companies or the marketers who have a, you know, it's not just a one-off piece. It's part of a long-term marketing strategy. They've done their homework. They, they've they got a, pos, uh, a, a strategy to position themselves within the community they serve, and they aren't just looking to sell into that. So they've, they've, they've created user personas, and all of their marketing at every touch point is consistent in terms of offering value and putting, you know, what's in it for the customer first. So when you say homework, you're talking about those personas and understanding the audience and and matching that up with their needs as a business. Yeah, I mean, well, we do it ourselves. We create customer personas um, throughout my career. It, it's it's almost at the the foreground of any marketing strategy that I've put together. It's, you know, understanding what the customer wants, how they like to be communicated to, where they like to be communicated to, um, what channels work best. And and like I said, it's you need to be in the on the channels. You can need to communicate with your customers where they where they already are. So be it um, on websites, uh, at conferences, it, it's that, you know, communicate with them to them where they're most comfortable. Right. Jim, what do you think is the biggest mistake companies make in their campaigns? What have you seen? You know, I think that when most people are planning their campaigns, um, one of the biggest challenges that we see is that marketers are not putting their clients first. You know, many times, you know, advertisers are so concerned with making sure that they have this opportunity to promote their product or their specific objective, but they're not putting it um, in relation to the clients, the, the client themselves. So, you know, my biggest, my, my biggest suggestion would be that, you know, when we're thinking about these campaigns, when we're looking at producing these campaigns, what we need to do is we need to put those prospective um, clients first and foremost, create that compelling narrative, show the value, provide the solution, and then, you know, we can, you know, assume that it'll move closer to a sale. So this came up in the podcast I just released yesterday. So when this episode that we're recording right now comes out, that will have been a couple of weeks ago with CJ Thomas. But 
it, it, the same thing comes up over and over again. Why do you think that vendors or people running campaigns feel the urgency to just talk about their product is, is there a budget limitation and they think that they got to get to that right away or what drives that kind of narrow view? You know, that's a good question. And I think, you know, from my perspective, when we start taking a look at it, I think people are so consumed that they've got, you know, a fixed amount of time, space, you know, imagery, whatever the case is, that they feel that they really need to push their objective forward, you know, and what the client's really looking for, what their prospective client's really looking for is they're looking to learn something, all right? They're looking for a partnership. The landscape has really changed in the way that marketers and prospective clients are really engaging with each other. And when we start taking a look at it, it really needs to be a dialogue, okay? And if there's not that, you know, if there's more push then pull there's not going to be that dialogue and it's going to be very one-sided and from that perspective you know it's the same reason why you know we've seen a lot more of the really bad emails in the past where you know you've got 500 words in an email because that's what the marketer felt that they needed the client to know uh, but it's not necessarily what the client needs to hear yeah i I'm just thinking product information is so easily and I would think inexpensively displayed on a website that you should save your money that you're going to spend on external campaigns for creating that interest in your company and your solutions and convincing people you can solve a problem. If you do that, they're going to end up on your site looking at your product, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's... You know, I mean, it's not the first time anybody's ever said less is more, you know, and from that perspective, you know, our goal as a publisher is not to get people to consume all of your product information on our site. It's for us to be able to um, transfer the readership from our site over to your site where they can get much, much more detail, whether it's going to be product information, applications, whatever the case is. Right. So that leads pretty well into our next question, which is what kinds of conversations are you having with your customers? So those are vendors that are most productive. Right. So, you know, this is, this is a very difficult question because, you know, you know, just like in the last question, a lot of marketers aren't, aren't willing to take a step back and take a look at it and figure out exactly you know, what we need to do to be more effective. So open conversations, and I know it sounds really easy to say open conversations, but in most cases, when we start taking a look at this, we've got some really, really smart and informed people sitting at both sides of the table here. And everybody's end goal is to get the best campaign possible. You know, so on one side, we've got marketers that know their products inside and out. On the other side of the table, you've got, you know, uh, uh, marketers that really know and understand how those readers are consuming that media, whether it's print, whether it's online, whether it's video, whatever the case is. And when we start taking a look at that, when we can have those open conversations and really dig down into, you know, what's really important, that's when we can get the best collaborations. When we can have those frank and open conversations about goals, objectives, and expectations, we're going to deliver the best results. Nice. All right, Alan. So scientists, um, 
have expectations, as you can imagine, when they attend a webinar or open an email. And uh, it's easy to think this comes from a vendor, so I should be expecting a pitch. But what what are they really looking for? We, we've kind of hinted at this, but tell us in a little more detail what a scientist is looking for when they sign up for a webinar or they agree to get emails from you. Yeah, I think it's, again, it's going back to providing something of value. Um, the webinars we see that get the most engagement from start to finish are the ones where the organizers have taken time to think about the value they are providing. If someone is taking time out of their busy day to listen to a webcast, they need to be convinced they'll learn something new or get to hear from ex the experiences of a peer or a key opinion leader. Uh Selection of speakers, agenda, marketing copy, this should all focus on positioning the business as a thought leader, one that they care about researchers and the research they are doing. Getting good speakers, having a strong research-based agenda will encourage registrations, attendees, leads, and eventually sales. And that, that's where we see the successes, where it's about the content, it's about the research, and it isn't just about a new piece of equipment. Yeah, so let's dig into emails and then webinars a little bit. So with respect to emails and keeping the goals in mind, whatever has been decided on, talk about what kind of information and how much is appropriate in an email, for example. I think Jim just said it perfectly. Uh, less is more. Um, we're inundated with emails, all of us. We've got emails on our laptops. We're, we're consuming them on our mobile devices. I mean, I'm I'm based in the EU. I'm receiving slightly less emails than I was maybe this time last year because of GDPR, um, but it's still a lot more than I can consume. Um, so my personal view when it comes to emails is most people receiving an email have engaged with your company before in some way, or they've opted for a third-party marketing opt-in. So they've opted to receive information. They already have a certain amount of knowledge. So the email needs to be the hook, like you said earlier, to take them to the next stage of the buying journey. And that's the website visit. We know people spend more time on the website than they do any other marketing channel. So it goes back to the value proposition. Provide something of value to the recipient, either some valuable content or some kind of promotion. But keep most importantly, keep the message concise and benefit-driven. So it could just be a a simple subject line and a paragraph saying, hey, if you're experiencing this kind of problem in your lab work, uh, we've got some ideas to help you. Click here to find three ways to make XYZ easier. Yeah. Um, you know, where we see a lot of emails and subject, as we know, I mean, emails have been around for a long time and subject headers are, are, are key. And, and so is that kind of those first few seconds when someone opens an email. I mean, we all have that thought whenever we, we're, we're consuming any kind of content, it's what's in it for me and what are the benefits to me? And that needs to stand out from the moment someone opens the email. Right. Let's, let's dig into webinars because I know these are hugely popular and I'm, I'm to some degree, I'm honestly kind of surprised how long they've remained popular. Um, but I guess that talks about what, what's working. So, um, how do you recommend marketers use a webinar in terms of what they can achieve? And then what should be the next step for both the attendee and the webinar? Because I think there's some missed opportunities here post-delivery of webinars for vendors. I mean, webinars, the webinars that we see um, 
the marketers we speak to, they're primarily used as the kind of bottom end of the marketing funnel, their lead generation. It, it's a, a longer conversation. Again, like I said, it needs to be about the research and it sh- shouldn't be a hard sell. The ones we see that do really well, again, are are about providing value, about positioning the company as a thought leader. Um, and those are the ones where we see the most leads, uh, the most callback requests. It's time and time again, you know, from the start, often we, we have that conversation with clients about we, we help with copy, uh, you know, we experts in our and what our audience want to receive we've seen it before and i think uh in terms of follow-ups if if someone's taken an hour out of their day and they've received something of value they're going to be really open to contacting the vendor or or receiving an email from a marketer or a call from a salesperson i think it's about positioning again and and that kind of position yourself as a thought leader Nice. Yeah. Uh, Sorry. Can I can I just add one point in there? Yeah. I think it would be I think it would be a good spot right here to also talk about once the webinar is produced. You know, it's effectively a piece of of marketing collateral that we've got. We've got some sort of a, a dialogue with live interaction, and even though it's pre-recorded and it's being it's being housed somewhere, um, the next step should also include being able to you know go out there and and broadcast that out to a wider net as well. You know, I think uh, I think one of the challenges that we see from a lot of our marketers, um, you know, the the companies that we work with, is that a lot of those um, those companies just make the assumption that once it's archived, you know, it's done, done and dead. You know, and that, that's not the case. And so I'll let either of you follow up on this because I, again, along those same lines with what happens afterwards. Um, Talk about the importance of a follow-up campaign. Like uh, Alan mentioned, getting you know subscribing for emails, getting an email from a marketer, taking a call from a salesperson. But I have this feeling that people don't follow up these hugely effective lead generation webinars with anything else, and then they end up thinking we don't have enough leads. We have to buy another webinar and they're essentially buying the same list again. And that may not be advantageous for you all, but talk about the value of following up. So they get the maximum value out of that big investment. Yeah, I think, I think you're absolutely right, Chris. I think that, you know, uh, a lot of the follow-up does occur, but it may not necessarily be in a timely manner, you know? And I think that, you know, that that's one thing that we really have to kind of, um, you know, work on and engage. And I think that, you know, especially when we're talking about something like a webinar, there's so many particulars in that webinar when we get down to, you know, the, the Q&A session and everything else that if, if uh, uh, we were able to go out there and we were able to craft um, some follow-up in terms of what, it, what we gained out of this webinar or some of the particulars that you might have um, thought were really interesting just to kind of, you know, rekindle that, that interest. Um, I think that that's a good place for, for them to start because, you know, just because those folks filled out a, um, a registration form doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be um, engaged, you know, a week later. But if we were able to take some of those, um, some of those key points or some of those benefits out of that webinar and get a re-engagement, 
I think you've hit a home run on, in terms of your follow-up. Yeah. I saw a company do something really well once, which was to take the Q&A from the webinar and make a blog post out of it. I mean, obviously you could make a blog post out of the whole thing, but I just thought it was nice. They just essentially pasted a transcript of the Q&A into a blog post. And of course, if people look at that and they think, it's a good advertisement for the webinar because then you get a sense of what was talked about and you go, oh, I want to hear more about that. Here's the link. But I think the other thing too with the Q&A, Chris, I think that that's really important because that's what the community is asking, right? And and that's what's really pressing from, you know, the prospective clients in terms of what they want to know and, you know, um, what the, the pulse on the community is. And when we start taking a look at that, that goes back to the beginning where we start talking a little bit about what the company wants to say versus what the audience wants to hear. Yeah, it's good market intelligence. That's, yeah, absolutely. I think you're right as well. Sorry. I, I think in terms of uh, repurposing content, I mean, it's every marketer should be looking to do that. Just don't, you, you've created a webcast. Look at look at how you can continue to, to, to slice and dice that and add it to your content marketing library. And, and like you say, create blog posts. You could even create social media campaigns around, around the Q&A. You could probably spit those out, ask them to the community on different platforms and drive them to your site. I think it's, you know, it's an ongoing campaign that, that you can reuse. Yeah, brilliant. All right, Jim, with so much information available, customers now can educate themselves to a large degree on any topic they want. And sales has become more relationship management. What does that mean for marketers? Yeah. So, um, Chris, I talk about this a lot with, you know, just about anybody and everybody. And, you know, when we start taking a look at really wrapping our heads around this, you know, we need to really kind of take a look at how the buying behaviors have changed. You know, we're all very connected these days. You know, um, you know in, in front of us, we, we've got, you know, multiple computers and, and uh, tablets and phones. And, you know, you're walking down the street and, and you know, uh, anytime that you want to really kind of look at something, you, you've got that kind of accessibility. And that, that's kind of how our behaviors have changed. And that changes the way that we buy as well. So whether we're looking at doing this personally or professionally, you know, a lot of our behaviors have, have kind of um, uh, uh, melded together. You know, it's the same thing as when we're looking at, you know, buying a television or, or going to a restaurant. We have a tendency to go read reviews rather than rely on the interactions that we would have with with a salesperson. Um, you know, buying a TV, we're going to be looking at within a, a specific budget. And we're going to be reading the reviews instead of walking into that big box store with uh, uh, um, an intention to, to kind of be educated on the latest and greatest in new TVs. You know, we kind of do all of our all of our investigative work beforehand. And the only reason why we go to those big box stores now is because we don't want to wait for Amazon to deliver it tomorrow. <laughs> so when we, you know, uh, sad, but it's it, it's true, you know. So the amount of product information that's available to researchers on the, on the web is incredible, you know, and the, the concerning part is that not all of that information is controlled by the suppliers. All right. And some of it is, is very positive and some of it may not necessarily be as positive. So suppliers openly discuss, um, how accessible, um, sorry, let me rephrase that. 
suppliers openly discuss how accessibility to this information has taken a lot of their um, expertise away from the salespeople. All right. Sales reps aren't necessarily utilized like they were in the past. You know, at one point they were really called on to really help consult with a project and kind of, you know, advance the next discovery. In most cases now, um, the, the researchers are, you know, doing all of this research behind the scenes. And then when they have to engage with the sales rep to make the purchase, they're looking for them to go out there and to validate an application or confirm the product's capabilities. All right. So the need for making this product information more accessible is becoming more and more apparent. All right. So marketing to the audience is becoming more essential as it needs to be in a format that the clients expect. All right. And it needs to be almost more experiential. All right. So we need to be able to control the the content that those folks are consuming. And we need to, to make that much, much more accessible so that when we can turn around, um, you know, they're able to draw all those conclusions so that when they do get to the sales, um, to the sales rep, all right, um, we're looking at, yes, we're able to, to validate those applications or we're able to confirm those capabilities based off of the accessibility of that information on the web. Right. Alan, so uh, you've talked a little bit about um, thought leadership and that importance. In what other ways can marketers help their company stand out from competitors? I think, again, we're going back to the same theme that's that's run consistently through today, and that's putting the audience first. Um, if you have a long-term strategy to position yourself as a leader in a field, you need to think about their needs at every point and not drift, not talk about product features. You need to have a clear customer journey, establish consistent messages at every touch point. There's no quick fix, but the most successful marketing campaigns we see aren't one-off content pieces, emails, or webinars. They're part of a joined-up strategy. All, all these channels need to work together and have different different positions within the marketing funnel and contribute to the customer journey throughout. So I'm thinking about uh, you know, developing a positioning and then a story around that that's unique from your competition. I mean, if your competition is still talking about product, you, you're off to a head start. But if they're not, you know, it's how do you create a story that's unique to your brand and, and make people think, oh, yeah, that's the story, you know, I want to be a part of. I think it's um, it, it's the emotional side. I think where we've seen the most success in our industry, it's, it's where business have thought about you know, there's a lot of very similar businesses, but the, the successes we've seen is where we can build an emotional attachment. It's the why we do. Uh, and then it's the how and the what. The why is the most important thing. It's 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 the long-term successes of, of, of medical research. It's why we come to work every day. It's it's that that really, the where we really see the successes. I think the other thing too, Chris, is that when we start taking a look at this, some of these some of these campaigns that are going to perform really, really well are going to be the ones that the prospective clients aren't going to expect. So where we can go out there and instead of being told about a specific product, we might learn about the product's application or we might learn about what what this specific innovation is going to do for you know research. I think that that really resonates with the audiences. And if it's not something that they're, they're um, familiar with and that they're going to expect, they're, they're going to absorb it a little bit differently. 
Yeah. That's a great place to wrap up. And it's almost a cliffhanger. I might have to have you guys back again um, to talk about those why campaigns and, and the emotional aspects. Cause I think that's something we've touched on a little bit, but probably not enough in this podcast. So Jim bro and Alan Avery, thank you so much for spending the time with me today. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate it. All right. I hope that episode was helpful. What I really liked there was uh, when you're talking to your media partners or any other vendor about helping you with your campaigns, there's a lot of smart people sitting across the table from each other, smart marketers who know what they're doing with their products. And then the media partners or whomever who know a lot about the marketplace and the people you're trying to reach. And so having that open conversation and putting together the best possible campaign just makes a lot of sense. If you, um, if you like the podcast, as always, what you can do for me, leave a rating or review on iTunes. That would be awesome. But most importantly, tell a couple of friends. I'm especially grateful when people refer the podcast to other folks. And I love it when I get direct feedback through emails. Let me know what you think. But, um, Really, just spread the word. I know there are other people out there who would find this useful. And I will talk to you in a couple weeks. Bye-bye.